Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Luke 15 11 through 32. Good morning, church. Let's uh, click or open our Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And let's keep that open this morning because we're going to be spending our entirety in this particular chapter. And one of the most famous set of stories Jesus ever tells. If you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here. And we're grateful that you're with us. We're starting a new series today, as Tyler mentioned, called What a God. We just finished a series looking throughout the entirety, the the realm of scripture to understand that when God liberates us, he does it in a pattern. It's not predictable, but God has a pattern by which if we listen, trust, and obey, he brings freedom into our lives in many areas. And that is the, the means by which God has worked to free us through Jesus Christ. If we listen, trust, and obey, we can find deliverance. And yet what we wanted to do, as we mentioned last week, leading into the Christmas celebration is remind ourselves when life is hard and things are difficult and we live in a world that does not reward waiting on God. It tries to create doubt and draw us into other things to be our our strength and our shield. 
what do we hold on to? What can we know? What can we uh, grip that gives us hope when life brings a lot of hopelessness? And these are things that we just want to hide in our heart, that we might not sin against God. And today I want to begin in this particular series, this What a God series, by talking about God our Father. So let me phrase it very specifically this way. Everything in our lives will be found significant or insignificant relative to God. So everything in life is proved to be worthy or unworthy based on who God is, not who we are, not what it gives us, but relative to who God is himself. So when we talk about God our Father, I realize this is a tricky subject matter in a mixed audience. Because some in this room had fathers who demonstrated the love of God. They were kind. They were patient to the best of their ability. In other words, they did the best they could. And you found that pleasing. You found that encouraging. You were a blessed person because you had that relationship. Too many in this room, however, did not have that experience. They did not have a father who demonstrated what a spiritual father should be. They did not have a father who who, uh, honored them, loved them, protected them, provided for them. They had Some had fathers that were distant. Some had fathers that were abusive. And I'm not here to judge your father. I'm asking you today that when I say God, our father, what a God, some of you could sniff at that, roll your eyes, be discouraged, become more angry and more hurt. And I'm not dismissing that. I want to encourage you today. The baseline of your value, the baseline of your identity The baseline of your worth is not established by your earthly father. It's established by your heavenly father. Can you hear that? I know mentally you can go, that's probably true. No, I'm asking you, can you hear that in your soul? That your identity is not decided by people in this world. It's decided by your father. You see, everything is significant or insignificant relative to God. That's what I want us to hold in our hearts. That while we wait on the Lord, we can wait on him with expectation even when everything in life sometimes fails us. So whether you saw the love of God through your parents, maybe you don't even know your dad. He's just a biological contributor. That's all you ever had. You didn't have love. I want you to understand that your value is decided by something different. Or as my friend Drake Holderman recently said, you are welcome in your father's house. You are welcome into your father's house. He invites you to stay there, to grow there, to be loved and nurtured. So what you may not have gotten in this physical life, the care, the protection, the provisions, and the love, you are welcome in your father's house and you will be loved, protected, and provided for. Luke chapter 15 is one of the richest texts in all of scripture in my, in my estimation. Jesus is being criticized by those around him. They're seeing the way that he responds to people. And Jesus then will tell three stories. And these stories are not, they're very interconnected rather. They're not disconnected. They're not three random stories. Jesus is making a point. Now, as we begin into Luke 15, here's my fear. You already know it. Even if you're not in church often, the expression, a prodigal son, you know what it means. You know it means someone who's walked into a path they should not have walked and has to turn around sheepishly and come back for forgiveness. You know the story. I'm not gonna spend as much time in the details of this story as you might imagine. they're, They're pretty clear. I could mansplain it, but I'm not gonna. 
I want you to understand why he told the stories. I want you to see what he's saying underneath the story so that you and I can find ourselves in the audience. It's not just an audience. We are the audience still. The power of the Holy Spirit is taking Jesus' teaching and applying it to each of us. Because there are some people who want Jesus and don't think they can have him. And there are other people who think Jesus is good, but I'm good. And that's the audience today. Look at verse two with me. It's the criticism of Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He welcomes them. He's not only open to them, he invites them. He invites them into his parties and he goes to their parties. Now we might think culturally that this is a big deal and it is in Jesus' day, but let's be honest with one another. If we're honest with each other, when someone asks us to go out to dinner, it does depend who it is. Can I, can I have an awkward amen? Yeah, good, I'm not the only one. Now, see, I'm kind of the person that it's, the first question I ask is, where? Because food matters. And then with who is secondary. But the truth is, having a meal with someone you don't know well or you don't care for or they drive you crazy sitting around that table, that's hard to do. Jesus is he's being criticized regularly by who he hangs out with. I want you to remember, you are welcome in God's house. You particularly you, are welcome in your father's house. Your identity is established by him, not by the world, and most importantly, not even by yourself. So Jesus gives this example of why he cares, why he loves, why he welcomes all people. He tells the story of a, of a lost sheep, verse four. He asks the question of his audience who's criticizing him. If any of you has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will you do? Won't you leave the 99 in the field and go look for the lost sheep until you find it? And when he finds it, down to verse six, he calls his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. If you read too quickly, you're gonna miss the key point here. Verse seven, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. In the same way that if you lost your puppy, why? Some of you are like, yes, what is, that? okay, I awaken some of you. You open the back door and the puppy got out of the gate or under the fence and you're missing your puppy and you realize that puppy's not going to make it on its own if I'm not there. Would you just sit in the house and go, it'll come back? Some wives are looking at their husbands, he would. <laughs> if you have a soul, you wouldn't. You're like, that puppy's helpless. I need to go find that puppy. And so you go outside and you search and you find that puppy and you come back and you hold the puppy in the air and you tell the family, we got the puppy back. And everybody does what? Goes, oh, come on, boring. And they're like, yes, we saved the puppy. Jesus said in the same way, when someone returns back to God, what we feel, he feels. You are welcome in your father's house. You are welcome. And he tells the story of a coin. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully for it until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together. and She says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. Verse 10. In the same way, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over, of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is being criticized. He's being criticized that he cares for invaluable things. That he spends time with invaluable people. That they don't have worth. He should be spending time with more dignified people. He should carry himself more respectfully. And Jesus turns around and says, no, no, no. If you lost your puppy or you lost a $100 bill, wouldn't you spend some time because it has value to you? And the answer is, of course, yes. 
And he says, in the very same way, God pursues us more passionately, in fact, more intentionally. Then Jesus takes us deeper. I don't believe that these are three separate stories. I think he's telescoping for us. He's talked about uh, something we have affection toward. He talked about something that gives value to our lives, like money. He's saying, and we have care for those things. They matter to us. Then Jesus dives deeper. He goes to something of greater value, a person. And where does he display his story? In a home. It's personal now. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. You and I, in our culture, I can spend a lot of time on the details, but I want to I spend more time on the impact of what he's saying. So a son, the youngest son, the older son would receive two-thirds of the inheritance. The remaining children would divide the third that remained. The youngest son, who is only entitled to a third, and entitled's a wrong word, Mark, who should expect to receive by laws of inheritance, not by his worth or earning it, would receive one-third. That child went to his dad and said, would you die already? Well, that's not what your scripture says. That's the cultural impact. Dad, would you die already so I could get on with my life? I'm tired of waiting. And that would be horrific when Jesus told the story. People were like, people wouldn't act like that. And then Jesus blows us all up by saying, and then he did. Not die. He divided his property. He liquidated what he had earned and what he was his. He didn't owe it to his sons. A good father would bless them. He didn't have to. He liquidated a third of his possessions so that his son could have the desires of his heart. And this moment, I want you to see if you see what I see. You don't have to. This is not an issue of whether or not you're in the kingdom or not. But I see something that I wonder if it's there in Jesus' storytelling. The lamb got lost because lambs are dumb. Lambs need shepherds. Without a shepherd, a lamb is a little puppy that wanders off and has no idea what it's about to get into. The coin was lost because somebody was inattentive. Something of value was lost, and I used to tease students when I would teach this, that you know, if you have a $100 bill and you lose the $100 bill, how much is the $100 bill worth? The answer is nothing. If it's not in the hands of someone who can exchange it, it's only paper. You with me? So the coin was lost because somebody was inattentive. The son is lost because he's willful. Jesus is telescoping down to importance. One happens out of ignorance. The other happens because someone mistreated it. And the third thing happens because a person chose. Jesus is making the same point. It doesn't matter why you're lost. He cares that you are. Does that make any difference to the church? That we have a God who's not in heaven keeping score? He's pursuing us with an outstretched arm. He is after us by love. It doesn't matter why you're lost. He cares that you're lost. This is what Jesus wanted us to know. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to citizens of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And if you're following the story, 
We're not talking about the details. We're not talking about that Jews eating pig food would be the worst imaginable thing. What we're understanding is this. Most of us, deep down in our heart, go, good. That's what he should do. He's earned that. He's a brat. He's disrespectful. He's a punk. He wasted it all on sinful things. It's exactly what should happen to him. He should lose everything, be a desperate person, and actually pay for his choices. And that's the people saying to Jesus, how can you hang out with those people? Jesus is a pretty good storyteller, isn't he? Because he knows the human condition. And there would be people that would hear this story, like many of us, including myself, that would sit there and go, that's me. That's what I've done to the goodness of God. I knew it was there. I took advantage of it. I actually asked God to give me all the blessings of life and not respecting him while doing so. I asked God to get out of my business to leave me alone, that there's areas in my life that I'm going to honor you, but there's certain areas that are mine and you don't get to touch them, God. Just stay back. I'm going to give you four days a week, but the other three, I'm going to live my life. There were people in the audience who understood this. They were eating the same garbage as I am, understanding the same consequences of their choices. And when they're done, what they thought would satisfy them and give them freedom actually gave them enslavement and pain and hurt. There would be people in Jesus' audience who would not be glad this kid's life was broken. They would see themselves in the story. So when it doesn't satisfy, what do we learn? That sin seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And we've all been there. We've all felt it. To anybody in the room this morning hearing Jesus tell this story and realizing, I do that. I am doing that. I am living in the midst of that right now. I want you to hear me clearly. You are still welcome in your father's house. This is the point. What we do to ourselves does not define us in the eyes of God. His love defines us. Yes, there is an accounting for what we choose to do. Eating pig's food and being empty and broken and broken relationships and tragedy in our lives. Yes, those are the consequences. But don't you think for a moment and don't take Jesus' words and dismiss them. You are welcome in his house because he is your father. He chooses that. And he won't change his mind. You see, the son realizes he needs to go home. But he's willing to go home when it's no longer his home. He's willing to go home when it's no longer his home. Listen to what he accounts in verse 17. I love his self-talk. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. I love what he says. He comes to realize his condition. He is provoked by his circumstances to come to life. He knows that Jesus has taught us that you can return to the father. And he knows that the father cares for you no matter why you're lost. Good and bad, accidental or purposeful. The love of God is undeniable. And listen to what he does. Believe it or not, he confesses, he repents, and he shows genuine sorrow. He, he takes accountability for himself. He can't fix any of this. He's thrown it all away. It is all over. But he, repent, or he confesses, verse 18, I have sinned against you. He repents, I am no longer worthy to be your child. He shows genuine sorrow. Make me your servant. Just let me be under your care. I will humble myself and do whatever it takes 
to be under your care again. He knows that he's gone too far and said too much and dismissed too easily. This tension is real, it's relatable, but it's too often common. Verse 20, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. You can go home to your father's house. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Jesus is turning everything on his head. He's telling those that are questioning why he welcomes sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and those that use people and hurt people. Why is he welcoming them? Because you can be welcome in your father's house. You just have to go home. You have to turn from where you're at and return to him. Jesus is offering us not just the innocence of the lamb or the value of the coin, but the people who he made above all creation, who he made in his image. There's something very honest and truthful about admitting where you're at and what you need. But look at verse 21, it goes even a step further. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. If you're a sinner in this room today, if you're coming to your senses about what you've done with your life, you can trust Jesus. You are still welcome in your father's house. He is still a father who loves you. And what I love is the son comes back and he says, I no longer can be your son. I have gone too far. I have done too much. I have crossed the divide. I can never get back. I'm not your son. I realize that. I threw that all away. I want to be your servant. And I love this. The father says quickly, he silences his son. Stop it. And he says, get the crown, get the ring, put the robes on him and start the festival. My son is home. The son doesn't get to define who he is to the father. The son is correct. I threw my sonship away. And the father says, you don't get to decide that. I decide that. My son is home. My daughter is home. Put the crown on the daughter. Put the ring on the son's hand. Put the robe back on them. Everything that is lost is repurposed because the father lets it happen. This is the story. You see, God will always be your father even when you act like he's not. His love cannot be alterated by our behavior great ending, huh? Jesus is a good storyteller. Is that pretty obvious? This would be a great place to end it, but no. Verse 25. (laughs) Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. You see, the older son was away from home and he returned to a place that was no longer his home. But the older son was home, but not really. He was, in the, he was in the estate. He was in the house, but it wasn't his home. He, he responds in such a way that the father finds out, why is he not with us in the celebration? You see, the father even pursues those who are home. It's not just taken for granted. He's pursuing him. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, all these years, pay attention to the words Jesus chooses. Look at all these years I've been slaving for you. And I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Can you hear I've earned this? 
After all I've done for you, after all I've put up with, your orders, but when the son of yours, I'm just thinking how my mother would respond if I ever called one of my brothers that son of yours. I don't think that would, that'd probably be the last time I talked for a while. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, that's the father, identifying again who he is. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. God is inviting the son who stayed home to come home. This is the other half of Jesus' audience. They would not call themselves perfect, but they would call themselves worthy. And by the way they treated other people, they would never claim to be perfect followers of God, but they're more worthy than those folks. And in this case, the son is right. He is more worthy. Jesus is addressing the other half of his audience, not the broken, pig-dwelling sinner, but the self-righteous, upright, good person who has no relationship with him. He said, when you can reject loving others, it's because we reject the love of God. We love him because he first loved us. And the love of God, God our Father, is the invitation not only to the broken sinner, it's the invitation to the self-righteous person of worth, the person who's not as bad, the person who needs a little help but doesn't need redemption. This is what Jesus is talking. He's talking to both of them. To those hungry for justice rather than mercy or justice for others and mercy for ourselves, Jesus has a word for you. You too are welcome in your father's house, not because you're good, but because he is. The only reason we're in the house of God, and I don't mean this structure, I mean that that place in the presence of God as father is beautiful. It's because of something very unique. You see, there's a part of this story that I want you to catch as you reason through, how do I respond to this ever-present, ever-reaching love of God? How do you respond to it? There's something about the older brother that I don't want us to miss because I think it's crucial. The older brother has a right to be ticked. I mean, let's be honest. Do you know why? Because when his younger brother comes back and and dad throws this big party with the fattened calf, the younger brother has already received everything he was due. He's already received his inheritance. He squandered it all. He has nothing. So now every celebration, every time this younger son gets the crown or the ring or the robe, every time this happens, whose uh, trust fund does it come out of? The older brother's. So he thinks it's his when it's actually his father's. So he can't give mercy because he's just. The younger brother doesn't deserve it. He hasn't earned it. It's not his. And the father's like, no, everything I've ever had was available to you, but you've been holding on to it like it's yours. Maybe he didn't ask for a party for his friends because it would come out of his trust fund. You see, his, his love was not for the father. His love was for his inheritance. And some of us need to check ourselves if we're honest. I know I do as well. We need to check ourselves because every now and then we love God because what he does for us. Or as a friend of mine once said a long time ago, and I'll never forget it, if God never does another good thing for me, he's been too good. He doesn't owe me anything. 
It's not mine to claim, but because of his character. You see, everything in life is valued or devalued relative to God. And the older brother didn't want to love. And he didn't even feel love for his father. It was all this remote worthiness that he claimed his life on. And yet, the Bible teaches us that we have an older brother who took from what was his and gave to us what we did not deserve after we squandered our lives. Our older brother, Jesus, gave everything so that you and I could return home because we are welcome in God's house, all of us. The smug and self-righteous all the way down to the reprobate. The love of God changes everything for us. And Jesus demonstrated that by taking all of his great fortune and riches as the son of the living God. And he came to earth. He left all of that behind to come live a poor man's existence, to walk with us, to show us what? The love of God. It all starts with this. And every piece of theology and every way to live our lives is founded through this. We had an older brother who gave us everything we needed after we threw everything away. 1 John 3, 1 says it so cleanly. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Would you read that out loud with me? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You can dwell with your God in his space because he loves you and he will always love you. Will you open yourself up to that? You're welcome in the Father's house. Will you come home and dwell with him? Not because of what you get, but because of who he is. Will you draw close to him and heal that hurt in your heart or celebrate that goodness that you saw displayed that we are getting a foretaste of the presence of God? We talked about this last week. Call to discipleship is a call to God himself through the blood of Jesus Christ, our older brother, who gave of everything that was his, that we might be able to return home. We're gonna sing a song here in just a moment that celebrates God's love, several in fact. And then we're gonna gather around the emblems of the table. We're not doing that right now. We'll do that in just a few moments. But we're gonna celebrate the body and blood of Jesus and what he's done for us. And following that, there's gonna be an opportunity that maybe today's the day you want someone to pray with you Maybe today's the day you want someone to pray for you. And we're gonna encourage you, at that time, you'll be told when. There'll be people standing at the back table that will meet with you. You'd like to have a conversation, begin a conversation, have someone pray for you or pray for someone you love and care about. Maybe today's the day that you finally open yourself up and you return home to God and let his love begin to rewrite your story. You and I are welcome in our Father's house. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.